Let's pray this morning that God's word would be fruitful, if you would bow in prayer. Uh, God and Father, you have spoken to us, and we tremble before your word because we know that there is power in it. So, Father, we do not pretend as though we just heard words from a page, but we know with uh, sureness that we heard your voice to us. Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to your word, we ask that we would hear, that we would listen, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed. And I pray that you would do all of this in the power of the Spirit and in the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a pastor, I kind of have a bullpen of questions uh, that I use on a regular basis just to get to know people, get to know where they're at. And, and it's not like I just have this like, list written somewhere. There are things that I genuinely want to know about people. And one of the things that I regularly ask people is, when was the last time that you just had a wonderfully spiritually enriching time? Well, maybe, maybe even more like assertively, like when was the time of greatest spiritual fruit when, when did you feel like you were being most formed? And, and for most of us, I think that if you were to take a moment and kind of think about when that was, uh, you, would, uh, you would have to go back. Uh, invariably, the answers that I get on a regular basis are some distant time. They were uh, back in high school or in college, back before you had quite as much just personal responsibility. So you got all of these great opportunities to spend time with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus in the Word and in prayer, to spend time with Jesus uh, in the Holy Spirit and other believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and you just were formed by that time. And, and, and so we kind of have to, for most of us, go back. In fact, I, I would be willing to wager that if I asked, who is in the midst of like the most spiritually enriching season of your life? And I asked for a show of hands, there wouldn't be more than a smattering. This is probably, for most of the people with the life stage that we're in, not the time of most spiritual growth for you. But normally they're back at a time where there was either a lot of time or maybe a season of suffering where you really had to lean into the Lord. Many of us remember these seasons as being blessed. It was almost like there was something holy, sanctified, set apart, just blessed about that season. And we talk about it like that. We talk about it as if it was blessing. Just nearness to Jesus was uh, the thing that felt most blessed about it. Here in uh, the fourth chapter of Galatians in verse 15, I, I think that we actually have this question uh, not just being directed towards the Galatians, but being directed at us also. Paul just exclaims this question. He's answering it with a lot of just assertiveness. What has become of your blessedness? He's asking the Galatians, what is it that's happened to you? Back when I was with you, when I saw you, there was all of this blessing. There was all of this freedom. There was all of this grace. There was all of this faith. And it's just a season. I remember that season. And it was marked by blessing. And so I want to ask you the question this morning. What has become of your blessedness? What's become of your blessedness? If, if you have to point back to a season, what has become of that blessing? For the Galatians, they had thrived. And now that blessing seemed to be waning. And Paul is just assertively pointing it out. And Paul has a really strange answer to what might uh, help them in their uh, just waning. And it's this. It's right there in the first verse, in verse 12. He says this. He says, become as I am. 
What a, what a strange answer to all this. What's become of your blessedness? And then he, he kind of says, hey, I need you to become like me. Become as I am. So this morning, that's where we're going. We're going to determine what it is that he means by this become as I am. And we're going to discover three things that Paul is saying. He's saying, become as I am because I am free, I'm a friend, and I'm formed. I'm free, I'm a friend, and I'm formed. That's where we're headed this morning. If you haven't been with us, and you don't even necessarily know what it is that I'm talking about, uh, Paul has spent the last several weeks uh, in Galatians, or our weeks, uh, his verses, really trying to pull something out. He's trying to confront the false teaching of these people that he's named Judaizers. These Judaizers were legalists. They had come up from Judea, and they had plagued this group of people that had had freedom in Christ, and they started telling them that there were all of these laws that they needed to follow. So there was this legalistic attitude that had transferred from those teachers into this kind of fledgling church, this group of Christians there in Galatia. And he points this out in a previous passage. He says, essentially, your faith may have started in the Spirit, but they're telling you that now you have to commit to works of the law to complete that faith. So even though your faith may have started in the Spirit, it now needs to be proven out. It needs to be worked out in the law, by keeping the law, by being legalistic. Paul emphatically rebukes these teachings because they undermine the one true gospel of freedom. So he's not taking like a circuitous route like around all of these things. He's going directly at the teachings and he's telling them that this is a false religion. It's a false gospel and it will enslave you. Today, Paul takes a strange tact in telling us what we need to do if we found ourselves in these same places. And he essentially says that if you want to get back to blessing, then you've got to become like me. What does he mean by that? The first thing is, is that you've got to become free like me. That's what Paul wants you to know this morning. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. That's a, that's a strange way of putting it. It's a little tricky to understand, but here's what I think that he's saying. The trick to understanding this unusual statement is remembering the themes that we've followed through Galatians, this idea of freedom versus slavery. You have freedom in Christ, you're enslaved to the law. And the the, the trick to all of this is that Paul is saying, in Christ, I am free from working for my salvation by doing the law. And essentially what he's saying here is, be free like me. Become as I am. Be a a freedom lover. Be a person that in Christ is just free from the law. He's going to ask us to be free. But here's how we know that. He's not just saying, in Christ I am free from working my salvation, so be free like me. We know this because he also says, because I have become like you. Well, that's that's a strange way of putting it. Like, become like me, because I became like you. Well, where's the rebuke then? Here's here's where he's coming from. The Galatians did not grow up in Judaism. Most of them were not uh, Jews by nature. They were Gentiles. They would have followed pagan gods. And what happened is, is that Paul comes into town. He starts preaching the gospel to them. And they go from these other religions into Christian uh, freedom in Christ. And, And what Paul is essentially saying here is, I became like you. I I actually was under the law. I was a Jew that was trying uh, very vociferously to try to keep the law. 
I, I lived the law, I breathed the law, I learned the law, I was ahead of all of the other pupils of the law at my time. And what I did in Christ is find out that I don't have to keep those laws for my salvation. I became like you are. I'm living outside of the law. I'm eating new things. I'm not keeping the ceremonial law. And what he's pleading with these Galatians who have started trickling into those types of practices is become like me. I became like you were. Don't, don't enter back into a legalistic framework. Paul is saying, I have become like you. They are Gentiles, Christians, saved by grace through faith. And now what he's going to tell them is, you Galatians had never observed the law, much less sought justification by it. Why are you now trying to be saved by law rather than by free grace? Why are you trying to do that? Be like me. Now, now you, this is not something new, right? We're really hammering this home. You're like, man, this is like the sixth or seventh sermon that's like taking some route that's like that. If we can be honest, there's a little bit of repetition. But here's what I want you to know. In order to be faithful to the text, we're going hard after legalism. We've been trying to be faithful to this text by emphasizing this theme of being anti-legalistic. And, and we're trying to like, hammer it home and recite it every week and trying to emphasize Paul's condemnation of it because Paul does that and because he thinks it's really important. So for us to be like, man, you know, this is just like the 15th time that I've heard this in the last few weeks, I want to petition you this morning. Maybe there's still some work to do in this area. We're trying to be faithful to the text. We need to become free like Paul is. However, I, I do want to take a little bit of a different tack this morning. I, I want for us to realize that that is really faithfully what this text means. But Andrew and I have actually been trying to discuss, okay, these guys are struggling with legalism. Is that currently today what City Church, the people of City Church, are really struggling with? Do they have these false teachers that are trying to teach them, hey, you need to keep the Ten Commandments, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the traditions, you need to be doing those things? Well, in some sense, of course not. We are in a different time. We have different struggles. But what I want to dig in on, what I want to plant my heels into, is that though we may not struggle with it in that way, I do believe that each and every one of us in this room has some form, some vestige of legalism, some desire to earn God's favor by doing the right things. And if I can just mount up enough right things, if I can just uh, uh, obey enough rules, God will be happy with me. And what I want you to know is what Paul has been trying to tell you, that cannot be. And it undermines what Christ died for on the cross, just simply to give you freedom so yes, it's a valid struggle. Our struggle is the struggle of the Galatians, just maybe in a little bit of a different way. Yes, each one of us is tempted to think that God is happy with us when we follow the rules. And so what we need to hear this morning is Paul say, be like me. Don't trust in rule keeping. Trust in the free grace of Jesus Christ. What better message could we hear? I mean, a dozen times, but don't be enslaved to the law. Whatever your brand of law is. However, here's what I do think. I do think, and I'm going to tread carefully this morning, 
I do think that there are other kinds of law keeping, there are other kinds of religion that are out there that are facing us that are not precisely what the Galatians have had to deal with, but they're really hard and pertinent for us. It's more likely that you have uh, encountered other kinds of religions, even if they don't go underneath that name, other kinds of religions that seek to steal your freedom from Christ. And here's what's ironic about the two that I'm going to mention this morning. And if you've been around City Church, you'll have heard me mention them before, and I'm not trying to harp on them because I don't think, just because they're like pets of mine, I'm going to really drive home because I think... I see them stealing the joy of people that are supposed to have their joy in Jesus. I see them stealing the freedom of a people that is supposed to be free, as Paul is free, free in Christ. And ironically, these two religions that I'm going to mention this morning, whether you agree with me or not, actually found themselves on a weird, adulterous, you know, kind of uh, bastardized version of freedom. The first one is patriotic freedom. If you don't see patriotic freedom, maybe even nationalism of some kind, arising not just in our country but worldwide as a real and true kind of religion, you're not paying attention. The first kind of religion that I think is out there is a religion that is telling you that in order to be free, you've got to embrace a flag You've got to uh, watch the right kind of news. You've got to vote for the right kind of people. You need to uh, look at the right kinds of things. You need to win that war on Christmas. The first religion that if you are willing to hear me this morning that I see in our culture is a religion of enslavement to patriotism. Now, here, here, here was, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I don't uh, love living here in this country or some of the freedoms that have arrived, I think, actually out of uh, Christian uh, theology and morals. Don't hear me say that. I'm very grateful for the things that we do enjoy here in this country. But when you start following something, when you start being dedicated to something more than you are dedicated to the freedom that you have in Christ, when you start uh, honoring things that uh, are really, you're placing honor above what you would honor Jesus Christ in, you're following a religion. It, it may not go by that name, but we all know and we can see in some way that there is a religion afoot that wants you to, and demands in some sense, fealty to a nation over God rather than a nation under God. And we need to just call it out. We need to know that there is nothing about Christendom that is subservient to our nationality, that is subservient to a country. There's nothing like that. God is over all, in all, commands all. He loves all people. He is a God that is redeeming not just this nation but the world. And the second that we tend to think of things in a bifurcated way that says that this is the country that God loves and honors and this is the flag that I need to fly and I need to devote more of my time to Fox News than to the Word of God, anytime that you're doing that, you're on real thin ice. You're in real danger. And I think if that was the kind of legalism that was in Paul's day, I think he would have gone hard after it. I really do. Unless you think that I'm like really treading into an area that, uh, that, that, that I don't understand or that I don't experience, I want to just get real with you, 
okay? I think a lot of people like to go to churches that like express some sort of brand or agreement, not with their uh, worldview that flows out of Christendom, but, but their politics. And what I want to tell you this morning, if you'll let me and like not be just totally offended by all of this, I'll tell you, I don't care about the political parties. I see them both as unnecessary evils. I see them both like as uh, things that are in some way trying to steal out your joy. And I think that trying to follow them is really grievous, and I have fallen into that. I've fallen into that. I've had conversations with people that have different views on things than I have, and I've been a follower in some sense of this religion, thinking, hey, if you, if you can vote for anybody, this is just me getting real, okay? If you can vote for anybody that, that supports a party where they'll uh, abort babies, like, I just, I don't understand that, Okay? Like, I, I've, I've had that thought before, rightly, wrongly. I, I've thought in my mind, like in recent conversations, actually, that anybody who uh, really doesn't mind if our government, like, promotes or allows, like, insobriety, I'm, I'm concerning myself with, like, maybe even the legalization of pot and thinks that, like, insobriety of any kind, any, any brand out there, uh, is like good and that that's okay. I've had that thought of just going like, man, I don't see how you can support it. Maybe even getting a little more close to home, like I believe that the Bible teaches us that God, I mean, institutionalizes a thing called marriage. It's his. We do not own it. We don't define it. He does. And I'll be honest with you, when I hear other people express a different viewpoint than that, sometimes it goes beyond just a fervor and a desire to protect what is God's, and it, it, it leans over into an area that's really ugly in my heart that says, you don't believe like I believe. It's a religion, and it's sneaky, and it creeps in. And I really do honestly believe that in some way it seeks to divide us out, even this morning. You pay attention to the things that you've been saying in your heart towards even this message. It's not filled with grace, even though I said like, hey, you know, I'll just be real with you. I don't know what part of this is good or bad. There, I imagine that there are some people in this room that are just like, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. Don't like that. See that some of this religion has snuck into the way that we treat and think about one another. But it's not just a religion of patriotism. I see something else out there. And for lack of a better term, I'm sure that there are better terms. There may, maybe you know a better term. I don't know one. But I've heard it expressed as just wokeness. It's a religion of wokeness. And I, I see within this religion a, uh, a, a desire to start with legitimate questions about how people are treated and, and the ends kind of, uh, uh, of you know, uh, reaching some sort or form of like uh, uh, equality, of like opportunity, and then kind of ventures over into equity of other kinds. Like I, I, see, I see even good tethers, good desires there that even ping some of our Christian desires for different things. But what I'll tell you is, is that I see those things end in a fealty, a, a, a bowing down to a certain type of ideology. And I think that it's critical that we see it together. And here's why. I've seen more supposed Christians walk away from our faith recently 
over wokeness than any other thing. You might have a different perspective. You might have a different vantage point. You might see it from a different perspective. But I'm just telling you, me, I've seen lots of people over the last few years walk away from the faith. The people that I thought were Christians that started asking questions that were good and determining answers that slightly stepped out of biblical bounds and then quickly slid into a place where they could not believe in a God who didn't think the things that they thought about marriage or any other thing. And here's what I want to tell you. It's a religion. It's a religion. If you agreed with me on the first one, I want to just, I want to just invite you, believe me on the second one, because there are souls at stake. I really, I would not cover this this morning. I don't talk often about politics and things like that. I wouldn't talk about it this morning if I didn't think it was dire. I honestly think that there are waves of people that grew up and and thought that they were Christians that are walking out of the church to follow a different religion, a different law. Both of these religions have doctrines and laws. Both of them have atoning sacrifices and patron saints. Both of them have evangelists that are out there demanding on whatever news source, on whatever campus you want. All of them have evangelists that are wanting and beckoning you to come into their enslaving religion. And I just want to tell you this morning, be as Paul was, free in Christ. Don't allow anything else to demand, uh, com- demand or command like your affections. There is no other religion that will give you the kind of freedom that Paul has in Christ. Because he is saved by grace through faith. Now, now I hear some of this. I, it's just like, hey, listen, you're just like a celebrity. Stay in your own freaking lane. That's, I mean, that's got to be what some people are thinking. Like, you're not a politician. Praise God. You're a pastor. If you hear nothing else that I say, if there's nothing else that builds like a little bit of trust, you're right. I'm not a politician. I am a pastor, but I know a religion when I see it. And I just want to ask you to consider that these are things that might steal your freedom. Don't let them do it. Secondly, Paul says, remember my friendship. And in in some sense, I want to like, if there's any loss of trust that just happened, I want to like invite you back in. I just want to like prevail on some sense of freedom and uh, some sense of friendship that we might have. He says, remember my friendship. Let's pick up in verse 13. He says that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. I have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth. They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What Paul is doing here is prevailing on their friendship. He's recounting the friendship that they share in Jesus Christ, the fellowship that they have, and he's doing it in a really intimate way. 
he starts off by just saying, I was traveling through and, and I had this probably an ailment that came to his eyes because he's talking here and in other verses in the Bible about his eyes. It seems as though uh, Paul probably had some sort of infection of his eyes or some sort of degeneration of his eyes and it was to the point where he needed their help. He needed their help a lot. Evidently, he had to stop in their town and it gave opportunity for him to preach the gospel. And there was something about the humiliation and humility of having to have people lead him around, probably by the hand, and the exaltation that he had in the preaching of the gospel that won hearts, that won friendships in Jesus, and he's prevailing on this. The Galatians took care of him despite the fact that it was a trial and Paul preached the gospel to them. Their relationship was so sweet that the Galatians would have gouged out their own eyes and given them to him. And so he's saying, do you remember the sweet times that we had together? The way that we depended on one another. I for my sight and yours for my sight as well in the gospel. He's telling them, do you remember how much you love me that you would have given anything to like cure me? Have I then become an enemy for telling you the truth? He's prevailing on that, like, just loving, sweet friendship that they have. And then he, in verse 16, says, have I become your enemy for telling you the truth? Here's what I hear in the midst of this. I hear Paul say, become as I am, a true friend, a friend to the end, a friend that's willing to tell you hard things. Friends tell the truth, don't they? We don't like it. In fact, a lot of times we've ended friendships over somebody telling us the truth and nigh on like a decade later we go, man, I miss that person. I should have listened to them. They saw something that I didn't see. I wish that I had just trusted the friendship. Why? Because the wounds of a friend are indeed more trustworthy than the kisses of an enemy. And we need our friends. We need them to tell us the truth. Paul is proving his friendship. And and he tells them that it's not just that I'm your friend, it's that you have a foe. He says, they, in verse 17, are making much of you. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What he's saying is, I came to town with nothing. I left with nothing. I told you about the good, free gift of grace that's in Jesus Christ, and I didn't need anything from you. These foes have come into town, despite the friendship that I have with you, and they have come in, and they've tried to tell you, you are excluded from the gospel. You don't follow the law, so you're cut off from God. And what you need to do is stop relying on freedom and spirit and grace and start trusting in the law. And what Paul is saying is that there is something about ego involved. These men who have come into town want to cut you off so that you may make much of them, that you may exalt them. And what Paul is saying, I never wanted any of that for you. I never wanted any of that from you. I just want to declare the gospel I want now to come back in and say, do you remember our sweet friendship and for you to trust in the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ? These Judaizers are flattering you to mislead you that you may be excluded and that you may exalt them. And Paul is saying, these guys are not your friends. I'm telling you the truth. I am your truth-telling friend and I want nothing else from you. Here's an application point for us this morning. True brothers and sisters in Christ, true friends will fight with you for you. 
That's it. Even this morning, what I'm telling you in some sense is like, don't go off after those false religions. They might end in ruin for you, and you may be just going like, hey, stay in your own lane, buddy. And what I just want to tell you is, is over the last many years, have I developed like even a seed of like friendship with you? Trust me. Don't go after those things. They end in ruin. May I prevail on our friendship. May I be a truth teller even when it is difficult, even when it is dangerous. We need to keep those people in our lives. The dangerous friend. The spiritually dangerous friend. That friend that will call us out. That friend that will tell us, hey, listen, you're going down the wrong path. You're trusting in the wrong thing. I I had a friend one time named uh, Joe. He was a part of our church before they moved to Denver. I've given this example before I even think. But one time I was meeting with Joe, and he just stopped me mid-sentence. He was like, hey, stop talking about that person like that. This was like the second time that I had ever met with Joe. He just goes, stop talking about that person like that. that. That taints my idea of like how I think about that person. Cut it out. I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, real cool. And so I called my wife, uh, my bestest of best friends. I was like, hey, do I talk about people like this? And she's like, yeah, you talk about people like that all the time. Like, like, those are the dangerous types of friends that it's just like, hey, Joe, you and me, we're meeting a lot from now on. I need a friend who's going to tell me the truth. I think about, like, uh, the guys in my discipleship group. We're, we're going hard in discipleship groups after uh, uh, transformative Christian friendships. And, and one of the pieces of having a transformative Christian friendship is actually the ability to build enough trust with one another, to rebuke one another in the Lord, to literally look at the Bible and say, hey, I don't see this aligning completely. Can you trust me to point this out? And for us to go, yeah, I need it. I need it like a sick person needs a doctor. I need to trust you. You need a dangerous friend. If you don't have one, I'm pretty pessimistic on whether or not you're going to grow into a a person that looks like Jesus. That you're going to sit in a nursing home and be like a joy and a light rather than grumpy and just like mired in sin. Pessimistic. You need a dangerous friend. Trust him. I think about those guys that are in my group that will literally just stop me in the last week and go, hey, Sounds like you're burning out. You need to prioritize your family differently. Me go, yeah, yeah, that's true. Need a friend like Andy and a friend like Chase who are willing to get in my junk and like, you know, start sorting through the drawer and pulling things out that don't need to be there. I need those people and you do too. And Paul says, remember my friendship. Remember that I am trustworthy. How many of us appreciate uh, just the pleas for freedom from legalism, but then bristle at my warnings about wokeness? Find somebody you can trust that disagrees with you. All of us need that. Our, Our society, our culture needs that. Rather than using algorithms to find all of the people that just affirm the things that we already believe, we need Christ centered, Jesus exalting, loving friendships that are willing to go like, hey, you suck. <laughs> okay, my last point here. He says, have I become your enemy for telling you the truth? He says, become as I am. 
Become as I am, free. Remember our friendship. And lastly, finally, most importantly, he says, become formed like me. He says, become formed like me in verses 18 through 20. He says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. He says, my little children. Now, now that could be heard as like a really condescending kind of, you know, my little children. But here's the truth. These Galatians were babies in their faith. Only a few short years before had Paul come uh, through and preached the gospel to them and had they held on to faith. But, but he also says, I was the one who preached it to you. Without hearing it, you wouldn't have known. In some sense, he is a spiritual father to them. He is an apostle. He is appointed as a man of God to declare the word of God to this group of people. And in many sweet ways, I, would, I just want to tell you, these Galatians heard that and they heard the affection, my little children. The Galatians are indeed little children, and he had indeed preached the gospel to them. But he says something strange next. He says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. That's a really hard statement to kind of get our head around. But what I want to remind you of, or maybe tell you for the first time ever, is that in John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus, he was a uh, Pharisee. He comes to Jesus actually in the cloak of night. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus, but he wanted to learn from Jesus. And he said, teacher, I can tell that you are a man from God because of all of these crazy things that you're doing. And he just asks uh, Jesus, like, what, what is it that I can do? How, how do I learn from you? How can I inherit eternal life? And what Jesus says is profound. He tells Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, that which is born in, uh, of the flesh is flesh, and that, is, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So here's the question that we need to answer in order to understand what Paul is saying. Who is forming you? What are you being formed into? The spirit here is using Paul to form the Galatians. He, he uses an illustration that, as a man, it's kind of strange. He's saying, I'm again in the pains of childbirth for you. It's a, he's wrestling. He's like, um, he's expectant, but he's also just in anguish and pain for these people. He sees that they're, like, uh, not following Jesus, that they're trying to earn their uh, favor with God through legalism, and it's just, like, gut-wrenching for him. He's in pain until Christ is formed in them. Who's forming you? What are you being formed into? Paul here says, until, you're form, until Christ is formed in you. So what we need to hear this morning is, do not be conformed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to, you must be born again if you are not born again in the spirit. That which is of flesh is of flesh, that which is in the spirit is of the spirit Paul is in anguish until they are formed in Christ. Paul's entire aim here at reminding them that they are saved by grace through faith is something that is called Christiform. It's a new word, but you can tell just by the parts of it that you kind of understand what it is. Christiformed means for us to be remade, reformed into the image of Christ. 
There are lots of things that, we, that need Christ's formation. Uh, this, this, the liturgy of our service, we've been putting a lot of time, our team has been working very diligently, painstakingly to see that our liturgy in some ways is formed in the image of Christ. We want it to bear a resemblance to the gospel. That's why we hear a call. That's why we exalt his name. That's why we confess our sins. That's why we hear from God's word. That's why we clarify and like try to hear the preaching of God's word, that we might exalt his name again and take communion and to praise his name and then to hear him send us out into the rest of the world with the great light of the gospel. That, that's Christiformation. That's the story of recreation in Christ. And here what Paul is saying is it needs to happen in you. You need to be formed in Christ. The Galatians needed to be shaped, needed to be folded, needed to be formed into the image of Christ. So he says, become as I am. What a bold statement. He's saying, become as I am, formed into the image of Christ. I, I'm in pain over you that you might be formed in Christ. Here, here's what I want you to hear. I wonder if you've ever heard this before. In John chapter 8, verse uh, 58, Jesus makes a huge and bold declaration. He says that before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then again, I'm going to read this. If you want to join me, you certainly can. It's in John chapter 18, verses of 4 through 6. I want to read this over us. John chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. It's not rendered completely right in the ESV, but I want to make a point here. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they say Jesus of Nazareth. He's standing in the Garden of Gethsemane in this huge troop of soldiers and uh, self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisees have come out to get Jesus. And they brought Jesus, uh, Judas who is there to uh, betray him with a kiss. Everything is going down and the disciples are watching on. And what happens here is marvelous. They come out. Whom do you seek? They say Jesus of Nazareth. And he, Jesus said to them, I am. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell on the ground. So I want to explain this because that he kind of messes it up a little bit. The truth is, is that in the Greek, Jesus was making a really specific declaration. What he was saying is, I am. I am God. I exist eternally. Before Abraham was, I am. He's making a claim about his Godship. And here's what we know from this text. It's easy to skip over. I just read it, and you may not have even caught it. But what Jesus does there is says, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am. And at a moment, all of these men that have come to condemn him and arrest him and kill him on a cross fall flat on their face. They fell down. Whether that was because they knew the essence of what he was saying or whether or not there was just like a shot of power that came out of his mouth, these men were floored by I am. And when Paul says, become as I am, he didn't precisely mean 
become as I am. He's not making that specific connection, but I want for us to this morning. I want for us to know that when Paul is saying we need to be formed in Christ, he's saying become as I am, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that every Christian needs to be formed into. Paul knew that every Christian needed uh, to have Christ formed in them and that legalism was there to just strangle that. Jesus Christ, once for all, on the cross, paid our debts without us. He did. It's his work. You can't work towards it. And then his sovereign grace continues beyond paying your debts without your help to forming himself in you by the power of the Spirit because of your faith. Become as Jesus. Become as I am. Have Christ formed in you so we can all hear Jesus' call through Paul Become as I am. Be reformed in my likeness. Become free like me. Remember my friendship, Jesus says to us. Become formed like me from the inside to the outside. And reclaim that season of blessing that you remember so fondly. Let us pray for that. God and Father, the power of your word cuts us open. We want to follow no other religion than the free grace of Jesus Christ extended to us through the cross of Christ and hoped for in the resurrection and that we will see fully and completely on the last day when Jesus returns and fully reveals his kingdom. Father, we are so excited about that day. Father, we don't want to follow any other religion, not even those religions that would take uh, your law, which is good and uh, reproves the soul. It is perfect, but then twists it and uses it as a noose to strangle us. Father, we don't want to follow that kind of religion. Let us be free as Christ is free. Let us be friends with you through him. Let us be formed like Jesus. Father, only you can accomplish that in us. And we pray for it in your great grace and in the name of Jesus. Amen.